Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I don't even know where to start on this one exactly, but let me go here first, because as I listen today, something that I hear over and over and over becomes abundantly clear. And that is whenever the Commonwealth Games are discussed, I hear lots of talk about housing and infrastructure and social issues and Indigenous reconciliation and a lot of other things. I hear almost nothing about sports. Is that on purpose? <laughs> you know, well, that's you know something I noticed too. It, uh, it's you know as an incentive to to host the games. There's got to be something out of it besides sport. You know, if you're going to invest that money, so you know uh, citizens and the, and uh, councillors and everybody involved, the stakeholders, they want to see something out of it, and that's usually a legacy, which is what you mentioned, housing and and all those different things. So um, it's you know it's an important part of the bid. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, at a time when money is incredibly tight, and we're going to be talking more about it later this hour, uh, you know, selling a two-week-long sporting party, I imagine, is a pretty tough sell, and people are smart enough to know that if you just come in and say, hey, let's just have a great old time for a billion or whatever it's going to cost, that's going nowhere. Right, right. And and I think, you know, the, the incentive here in Canada anyways is, is getting um, funding from partner governments you know everybody wants their share from the government it's not always coming they see other cities get it and i see here hamilton trying to seize an opportunity at least some people trying to seize that opportunity to get money for housing for for some of that infrastructure where where they don't have to pay for it all themselves well i want to get to that housing in just a second because that was the big headline i think today from this but there's also when you talk about trying to get money from other forms of government you cover all these bids of all these multi-sports games and everything else there are other big events coming to canada in 2026 that the government is spending money on the world cup of soccer is going to be partially here do do we do you believe when you look at this when you follow these things do you believe there is money out there for a commonwealth games bid from the province and the federal government uh, you know, <laughs> these times, all bets are off. It's hard to know where the money's coming from, what's available. Typically, I would say no. I would say the government would shy away, especially when, when they know that 2030 opportunity was already on the table for Hamilton. You know, why are we suddenly switching backwards to 26? We already have that com- uh, that uh, FIFA World Cup games uh, that were awarded a couple years back. Typically, I would say no. Um, I just really don't know now. I mean, we see money coming from all over the place. We don't know where it's coming from. I mean, ultimately, it's coming from our pockets. But, you know, where the government, what they have and what they want to do five, six years down the road, I, I don't know. Right now, it's a, it's a hard thing to gauge. But that really becomes the issue here. I mean, t- today, the big takeaway, um, and I mean, correct me if I've missed the big takeaway here, but for me, the big takeaway was 3,000 affordable housing units as the legacy of these games within the city, which sounds tremendous because we do have a housing problem in Hamilton, and that sounds wonderful. What I didn't hear, though, coming from this was a clear, total, final, absolute, all-in price. Did I just miss it, or are we still waiting to find out what this is all going to cost? We're still waiting, um, and I, and that's intentional. Uh, I know the organizers behind the bid, um, uh, uh, trying to recall his name, P.J. Mercanti? Mercanti, yes. Okay, thank you. Um, so he said that it's intentional. He wants to, or the, the bid committee they want to work with the city council to see where they want to spend money because a lot of it is a capital cost, right? So you want these venues, you want these upgrades, um, these capital legacies, but you have to pay for them. If you want a, a, a 
less expensive gains and without legacies, that's another option. So really, the budget can be flexible and can be set according to what the needs are. So the so, trouble know, plans... with the... Go ahead. No, no. The trouble with that, though, I think, is that we're less than six years away from these games presumably getting started. And, you know, you, you do an... Now, these are not the Olympics, but you do an Olympics, you generally get about eight to ten years and that's, you know, when those places have already laid out everything and the city has decided it's going for it. And so when they get announced, when a city wins the Olympic bid, they're ready to start basically right away. Seems to me, and again, maybe I'm wrong, but this kind of information should be much more clear to me at this point so we can make a decision on this and start moving forward if we're going to. Well, definitely we're in a time crunch for this. And, and that's why uh, the Commonwealth Games Federation has set a September deadline at September end of September deadline. But um, they also stress that they don't want a lot of construction. They don't want a lot of uh, um, new venues that aren't needed by the community. So they want it to be a low build games. And, and maybe the housing is the only thing that that uh, comes out of this. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, it's a time crunch. It's got to be done quick. We've only got six years now. Um, as you mentioned, it's usually more. Um, so definitely. Uh, by the way, just a quick update. The Toronto Maple Leafs did not win the NHL draft lottery. New York Rangers just won the draft lottery. So they let the conspiracy theories begin that the NHL wanted their new big star in New York. Anyway. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting about the Commonwealth Games discussion at Hamilton City Council. That is a big, big deal because big money is involved. As I said before, not all from the city, much of it from other forms of government, some private sector, some you would assume is going to be from the city. Robert Livingston is with gamesbids.com. He covers these kinds of things, whether it's Olympics or other multi-sport games. And Robert, I thought the presentation, what I saw of it today, and I, I saw a big chunk of it. I thought it was professional. The folks behind it even had Martin Short show up, and that's never a bad thing around here. Um, but again, I, it seems to me that in all of this, you can put all the icing on the cake and all the flash and razzle-dazzle and everything else. The bottom line, especially in 2020 with the money that public sector has spent, the bottom line is always, am I wrong, is always going to be the thing that is going to likely make politicians or the public go one way or the other. You mean risk? You mean the cost and the risk? And the-, the cost, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If, if it yeah. looks like it's a great thing and it's not going to cost you a fortune, sure, we can talk about it. But if suddenly now we say, well, we're in the hundreds of millions of dollars, we get nervous. Right, right. Yeah. And, and you know, we're talking a billion, billion plus here, potentially. I mean, they could go, they could dip under if they cut some sports, as they suggested they might. Um, if they limit the venue construction, certainly. Uh, and then there's people that are going to talk about risk and, you know, we'll say, how do we know that the price you set is not going to go up like it usually does? Um, so certainly, especially now when, when money's scarce and other things need to be invested in, in the next few years to, to improve the economy, is that the right way to spend the money? Is that the right investment? Um, definitely a concern for many. And that always, you just touched on something that is the cynical position, but I don't know that it's not the not the right position. And that is, we can say we've got this budget that's going to cost the city almost nothing, but these things do tend to go up in price. Something happens, suddenly security budget goes up by double or whatever else. Who ends up holding the bag on that one? And is there a way to make sure that it's not the city? Uh, well, there's a multi-party agreement that's signed by by the three levels of government. 
Uh, and they decide at that point who ends up uh, holding that uh, final bill, <laughs> who gets left at the end. Um, often that's the province. Um, could be the city, but, you know, we don't know yet. It probably will be the province that will have to foot that bill if, if it ends up being there at the end. Um, the Commonwealth Games does a little differently than, say, the Olympics or some of the other events. So they've got the formula down. They, they can estimate these things a little better. It's not as big and as risky as, as some of those other events. And they've done well in the recent past in Gold Coast uh, for 2018 and Glasgow for 2015. They've done okay. So the risk is a little less for the Commonwealth Games. The uh, They had some people in the meeting today, the head of Commonwealth Games, the head of the committee and the, and the head of Commonwealth Games Canada. And one of the things that I can't remember which one of them made the case was that, well, wait a second, you know what, we have other places that are lined up. Like, it's not like it's Hamilton, we're desperate for Hamilton. We've got India and we've got Australia who are interested in doing this. Are they? Because I'm trying to find, I mean, Australia, as I read it, said that they're out. And India, well, in 2010, when they went to New Delhi, that was close to a complete disaster. And I'm not sure the Commonwealth Games want to go back there anytime soon. Do they really have other options? Well, yeah, definitely India would do it in a heartbeat. They're ready to go. But like you said, is that an option for the uh, Commonwealth Games Federation? Probably not. But but uh, Australia, although they did have a bid going and they did uh, stop that bid, they've reignited it um, as recently, I think, last month. Um, okay. We've been talking about it again. They are starting to reorganize. Maybe they've seen some cracks in, in Hamilton's uh, uh, position and they're trying to capitalize on it. So, so Australia is a possibility. Now, I can see the Commonwealth Games Federation, you know, they're, they're in on Hamilton and they want to close. They don't want to have to, you know, back up and then try to make another deal with Australia. But they do have some, something in their back pocket, definitely. They, I mean, the, the people from the Commonwealth Games certainly sounded very enthusiastic about Hamilton and, and making the pitch. What I wonder, these things are very political always. Any, any bid thing is a political thing. I mean, politics are involved all the time. A lot of councillors or a number of councillors from Hamilton were more interested in 2030, it sounded like, which was actually the 100th anniversary of the British Empire Games, which was here. Uh, fits maybe a little bit better, some people would say. If Hamilton were to say, no, we don't want to do 2026, we still want to go for 2030. Do you believe that we would be a front runner or does the Commonwealth Games Committee say, man, we really needed you in 2026 and you didn't do it for us. We've got other opportunities in 2030. So uh, too bad, so sad. We're going to skip you over. Right. That could happen. Definitely. Uh, you know, you said it. You said it. it's very political. Um, for sure, Hamilton can pass on 2026. They're, they're under no obligation and they have the same opportunities as anyone else for 2030. There aren't, you know, as we said, there aren't a lot of cities stepping up for 2030. And I think they would award it fairly quickly after 2026 if they were to do that. Um, so, you know, someone's going to take 2026. Say it did go to Australia, then you got Hamilton versus India or maybe some other city. I still think Hamilton has a good shot at it, but, you know, there's no guarantee. This is 2026 is guaranteed if, if they just step up and decide to do it. Last thing, because we're short on time. I wish we had more. Um, the the councillors who are expressing concern about 2026, and we touched on it a moment ago, it, it is a short time frame, relatively speaking, to most bids that we see for most of these multi-sport games. Considering COVID is still a thing and we probably would not get going full speed on construction of things and everything else, are there concerns about the ability to turn this around warranted? 
I I think if if the commitments are made this year, this calendar year, I I'm not I don't have any concerns. Uh, Birmingham's organizing for 2022. They just won those games a couple of years back because they had to replace Durban in South Africa that had to drop out. A uh, whole other story. But, um, you know, because they've reduced the number of sports, reduced or at least plan to reduce the, the infrastructure, the venues required to almost nothing, um, they can definitely pull this together in time, um, even though, you know, things are going to start slower. So that's not a concern. But having said that, that's, you know, that's why they... Commonwealth Games Federation is really pushing that September deadline to make a decision, you know, no go, no go, and try to get things in place by the by this calendar year. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This is the part of what's been going on money-wise with government spending money to ride us through COVID that we don't really like to talk about. We, I mean, none of COVID has been fun, but we're all fine with the government money going out to try and keep us afloat businesses going and people not having to pay their property tax or this or that or the other. I mean, that's, that stuff is important stuff. Most of it, not all <clears throat> we, <clears throat> but anyway, um, but at some point, the unfortunate reality is that at some point we're going to have to pay back some of this money that the government has been fire hosing all over the country for the last number of months. You just can't spend 350, 340 billion dollars and then say, well, that was fun. Now let's just forget about that and move on with life. It's it's a reality that somehow this is going to have to be resolved. Question is, how do you do it? Well, there are a number of ways I suppose you could, but the inevitability I think is that we're going to be paying somehow for this rather than just cuts. We're going to be paying for it. I want to bring in Glenn Hodgson. He's a senior fellow at the C.D. Howe Institute. Wrote a piece in the Globe and Mail. A wealth tax won't work to fix the coming debt crisis. We need a consumption tax like the GST. He joins me now. Glenn, thanks for doing this today. Appreciate it. Great to speak with you. Uh, as I said a moment ago, I am not excited about being the bearer of bad news, but I think it's realistic to say we're going to be seeing some new taxes over the next few years. Would you agree? Uh, unfortunately, that's kind of what our bottom line was, too. I, I, I wish we could solve the problem by relying only on economic growth. I mean, if we could grow our way out of the problem, that would be the very best. That's largely what was done after World War II, where we had growth rates of like 6 to 8% every year. And we paid down the massive debt that Canada was carrying after the war through growth. We didn't really have to do a lot on the tax side. This time, you know, we're going to grow. The economy will appear to be growing quickly for the next couple of years, although we're really digging ourselves up a very big hole. But after that, growth is going to be less than 2%, most economists believe. And 2% growth with rising interest rates is not going to be much to bring down the mountain of debt. What What is the difference, and forgive my stupidity on this one, what is the difference between the economic circumstance around World War II that allowed that growth to carry us to those heights and the difference with now that it wouldn't? Well, basically, all the soldiers came home and we found a way to put them all to work. And there was this fantastic baby boom at the same time. They came home, they started young families, you had this massive demand for housing, for refrigerators, for automobiles, for tires. And that fueled the economy. That happened in all the post-war economies. And North America was really the center. That's when America really took off. And Canada kind of rode its coattails along. And we grew with these fantastic growth rates for probably 10 years after World War II. That's not going to happen this time. And we're looking at a world of an 18 population, 
where growth of kind of 1.8% is the expected case for most economic analysis. What, just before we get into how we do this, what if we were to make the decision that, well, you know what, we're just going to live with our debt rather than just try to pay it off or recoup it. Um, you know, we've got the debt now. Um, we deal with it. We just live with it and don't pay it back at all. Okay, so so here's some of the basic numbers, and I'll keep this really simple. Basically, our debt ratio at the federal level is jumping from 30% to 49% of GDP of the economy overnight. So that's happened already. We're basically already there. We already pay $28 billion a year in debt service within the federal budget. So we're already spending nine, almost 10% of the annual federal budget just on debt service. It's actually bigger than our what we, what we spend on, on national security. So it's already a big chunk before the pandemic. You now increase the stock of debt by 50% overnight. I think it's going to keep growing for at least another two years because the economy's been not back to normal yet. We'll need a vaccine. We'll actually need to kind of tamp down the pandemic before we can we can have all cylinders working in the economy. So we're looking at almost doubling the debt burden in probably two to three years. If interest rates are low, we can we can carry that along. But you're looking at forty billion dollars, let's say, or more in annual debt service in the budget as a permanent fixture unless you find a way to bring the debt under control. It's the same principles that apply to a family. You know, if you go out and borrow money and borrow money, your debt service costs creep up, whether it's a mortgage or line of credit or other expenses. And at some point you just it's just, it's just absorbing too much of your of your annual budget. You got Right. Those are programs you can't be spending money on. It's money you can't be putting into programs or infrastructure yeah. or something else. You're just flushing it down exactly. the toilet. Exactly. It's money you're not putting either on transfers, on healthcare, on infrastructure, and education. All the things that we really value. It's money that's that's paying for past consumption and you and you kind of carry it along. Well, there are two. And that's before the we get, economists want to get the debt under control is to limit the impact on the budget to allow us to spend money on more important things today. And before we get to your idea, there are two other things that are often thrown out there. Let me throw them at you and ask you why these would not be a better solution. One of them is very often we hear, well, let's just cut, 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 cut. We got to cut everything back. And I think we are going to have to cut some things, to be honest, because it's just such a high number. But why not just cut our way? to get rid of the debt, the deficit and the debt? Well, at the, at the federal level, that would be easy. I mean, when when the, the, the Liberal government in mid-90s actually got the deficit under control then, and I'm old enough to remember that, I actually lived the experience. The feds cut, but they cut transfers to the provinces. So they basically said to the provinces, here, province, you can pay for health care now. We're not going to give you any more money for health care or for mm-hmm. education. That worked in a period when the economy was actually growing fairly strongly again. But that's not the world we're facing right now. Plus, most provinces are under pressure. Like Ontario has yet to balance the books after 10 years. And the provincial debt ratio is also rising. So you can't really pass the hot potatoes of the provinces. And, of course, healthcare pressures are only going up. So we're going to have to spend more on retirement homes. We're going to have to make sure that our hospital system is functioning well. So it's really hard to cut your way to success right now. I mean, it, it would end up being cuts to healthcare and education which for me would be the, the last things that I would want to touch. You can look at cutting all sorts of other things, and there, there's always areas within a budget where you can trim a bit. But we've underinvested in infrastructure. We don't want to do anything to kind of reduce the capacity of our healthcare system or our educational system. So I see cutting 
it, again, it's theoretically a nice idea, but really hard to do without hurting people. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Federal government is now looking at a trillion dollar debt, roughly, after what we've been going through. We know something is going to happen. So what is the proper response to this? Glenn Hodgson is with the C.D. Howe Institute, senior fellow, and he has a proposal. But just before we get to what that proposal is, we had to take a very quick break there, Glenn. There's a second thing. So so cutting our way out of this debt entirely is not going to work. The other suggestion that has been thrown out there a lot, we hear it all the time, well, tax the rich. The, the rich are rich. Tax them. Get rid of their wealth. Bring them back down to the rest of us. Have a wealth tax, a rich tax. Why would that not work? Well, probably two two reasons, and I'll, I'll talk a bit about experience in other places, but first of all, because it's really hard to do. It's hard to administer, to get uh, sort of accurate reporting on people's level of wealth. Administration can be very expensive, very, very, very complicated. Plus, more importantly, you'll probably encourage them to take their money someplace else. You know, rich people have the ability to move their capital around quite, quite easily. They may have investments already in other places. And we're not talking about the Panama Papers, just the ability to, to move money. And if you tax wealth too heavily, the wealth moves. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, people with money can afford the best advice from lawyers and accountants, and they can move their wealth elsewhere. And that's why we're really focused on, on income, which is kind of in more, more immediate. And you can tax that at source. You can actually tax most income at source. Other countries have tried taxing wealth. So it's been tried in various European countries. And they basically gave up because it was just too hard to administer. Even setting aside the movement of capital issue, it's just really hard to keep track of things and get accurate accurate reporting over time. And it, it will have an impact on kind of ongoing capital formation activity in the economy. So it's a great idea in theory, but very, very hard to do in practice. And you may end up getting things that you don't want, sort of understand the consequences, like mm. people moving their money out of Canada. So you are proposing, and in this Globe and Mail piece, it's, it's a fascinating piece to read. I would encourage people to go take a look. You are proposing the best solution, I think, and none of them are great solutions. Nobody likes the idea of more taxes, that we need a consumption tax, maybe raise the GST, maybe create a new consumption tax. This Elections, though, Glenn, have been fought over this and lost by people fighting to increase or decrease the GST. Would this work? Well, first of all, Let's recognize right up front that this is not going to be popular, right? This is this is kind of the third rail. Of <laughs> None of them will be, right? Absolutely. The reason we propose it, first of all, we're putting our economist hat on here. I'm not playing politician. Um, we're looking for the tax that has the, the least negative impact on the economy, comparing uh, taxes on consumption, more income tax. There's other ideas that I can we can talk about in a second. And from all the economic analysis that's available, taxes on consumption have the least distorting impact on the economy. So that's where we start. Understanding that it's, going to, it's not going to be popular, you have to come up with a plan, maybe an ongoing structural tax change, for example, where you give a little bit here and you take a little bit there as a way to get it through. But it really is intended to generate stable revenue for government to pay down the debt. Also, let's remember that we're, the debt's been built up through all the programs like the CERB, like the, the income subsidy that's been put in place, the wage subsidies, like support for a small business. So we've all shared in the spending, and I think it's kind of fair to then think about all sharing in the, in the, in the paying for the spending. And that's part of the reason to have a kind of a foundational tax, like a consumption tax, uh, rather than relying upon income taxes or other, other forms of taxation. Doesn't taxing everything we purchase, though, 
serve as a deterrent to people to purchase things, which would then have a negative effect on the economy. It, it, it can when it's first implemented. Um, again, the literature suggested over time there's kind of an erosion of that impact. People have to spend. They have to spend on on, on food, on rent, on clothing, on transportation. And, and you, you know, consumption taxes kind of ding you a little bit every time you do that. You go out and spend. And most of us spend somewhere between 98 and 100% of our, of our incomes anyway. So there may be a small deterrence at the outset, but it also has a small impact on inflation which we could actually use some of right now because inflation is actually too low to have a really vibrant economy. So, yeah, there's going to be transition effects. But but over time, it is I think it's been shown over and over again to be the most efficient tax if you want to have a minimum impact on your economy. Do, do you believe it? And nobody, as you said, nobody likes the idea of someone coming and saying, hey, we're going to tax you more. Um, but And I'm, I'm at the top of that list. But I look at this and I think, okay, there, there doesn't seem to be another alternative after all the money that's been spent. I do wonder, though, would a government of any stripe, whoever's in office, would they be more successful implementing this if it was very clear that what they're taxing you for is to whittle away at the debt rather than to continue to fork out new money for new programs that we can't afford right now? Yeah, there's a few things you could do is to to kind of put some sugar on the very bitter medicine. You could link it explicitly to debt reduction. So that would be one thing. Something else you can do, and I've talked to a few other states about this today, you could have a combined uh, package where you actually reduce income taxes in some form at the same time that you're raising consumption taxes. So you raise the GST, but you give everybody maybe a higher basic deductible in their income tax to kind of deaden the pain. And you do that very, very transparently, because if you do it directly without having a bit, a bit of a sales package, it's really tough to swallow. And I'll be the first to admit that, that you know, this is not a popular approach. But if we don't get the debt under control, um, it'll be keep eating a bigger and bigger chunk of our federal budget. And therefore, that's going to eat into things that we really, really value, like health care, education, infrastructure. Yeah. And, and as you pointed out, I mean, if we're talking about somewhere between 40 and 60 over time, billion dollars a year, just going into paying off interest, that's an awful lot of money in a country our size that can't go into other things that we are just wasting. And I mean, again, I, Glenn, I'm, I'm at the very top of the list of people who hate the idea of government taxing more and more and more, largely because more often than not, it seems to me that a lot of the stuff is just being buying votes by giving special interest groups or other things programs. This though seems like it's a it's an urgent matter to be able to get rid of the debt, get rid of the deficit. We may not get there very quickly. I mean, it, it may actually take a couple of election cycles when we finally get the economy back to a more normal state. Let's say two years from now, we go through an election, we get hear promises about how we're going to grow our way back to prosperity. And then we see the debt ratio get stuck at, say, 55% of GDP. And that's not even counting the provincial debt, which has also gone up, which will probably be 45% of GDP. So we're now as indebted as the Europeans who've been kind of spendthrifts for the last 25 years. We've reached that point. We have to get it under control. Can I throw out one, one more idea? Very quickly. We have 10 seconds, unfortunately. Okay. We're really late. But yeah, sorry. I would love to have another chat with you about how do we tax the digital economy? which I think is a really important conversation. Right now, people who are selling to the digital economy are paying virtually no tax. And that's yeah, a big, it is. big gap, and it's a point where we can have another conversation. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
Don Robertson is the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys. He runs ComChoice Realty and Dundas does a million other things. A golfer of some renown, um, as long as the word renown means mediocre skills, but nonetheless, who can still beat some people who have even less mediocre skills. And um, he, he is here every Monday at this time to talk about sports. I will let you boast about your golfing later on if you wish. Um, sure. NHL draft lottery happened while we were on the air here, just after six o'clock. The, at least the second part of it and the New York Rangers won. So they get to have the first overall pick. It's kind of a weird thing here. Here's what I don't get about the draft lot. Did you watch today's version of it, Don? No, I was working. I just, I walked in at five to seven. So I, I didn't, I didn't know the Rangers even won. Okay. So yeah, so the Rangers won and it was all the teams that got knocked out of the first round or the, whatever this round, this play in round that we just had. So there are eight teams. And they weren't the worst teams in the league, so people were very upset in some cases about that. The Rangers now get another really good player, it's going to look like. Here's what I don't understand for the NHL. There's a couple things. These draft lottery things are supposed to be all about tension and drama and driving up TV ratings and everything else. You've got half an hour to do this. You've got a half hour window to do this. If you were the NHL and or you were the people who were doing this on TV, in order to build the tension and everything else, would you, you've got eight ping pong balls in the ping pong ball blower and then one of them shoots up and that's the winner. Would you do it that way? Were you the first one that blows up the tube becomes the winner or would you do it as a survivor style elimination tournament where the first one, oh, you're out. Now we're going to do it again. I would do it the second one. Eliminate everybody till there's one left standing. Who gets the second pick if you do it like that? Well, no, it wouldn't because this is, if you didn't win in this one, you went back to your normal spot in the rankings, which was like 10 through 18 or whatever it was. So it's, it was either first or back to your normal spot. Then I'd have done it the way you said. I'd have created some drama and said, you're out, you're out, you're out, you're out. <clears throat> and then the, the drama comes in when you're down to about three. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was kind of shocked that they that they didn't. It's kind of like they were like, it's it's almost as if the NHL was embarrassed that the team that wasn't near the bottom of the standings that should have won the lottery didn't win the lottery. So let's just get this thing over as fast as we possibly can and get you off to the Raptors game. Well, don't you think that the NHL should be embarrassed? The Detroit Red Wings probably couldn't have won the Allen Cup Hockey League championship this year, and they had no chance to get the number one pick nor did the Ottawa uh, 67s, the Ottawa Senators. Senators. I mean, it was bizarre. I mean, you gave it to the least, less loser. It was, I don't understand it. I don't know how the Board of Governors approved that. Well, they approved it, I'm sure, thinking there was no chance it would ever actually happen. And then, of course, as soon as you do something based on the chance that it will never happen, guaranteed it's going to happen. Yeah, but the odds should should have been still stacked in this crazy season in favor of the bottom teams, Detroit. Remember when uh, Pittsburgh was, was were accused of and guilty of basically losing, using half their American League team to make sure that they get the first pick and grab Mario? Yep. It was things like that that created the lottery. Yep. But when the worst team can't get the first pick or doesn't have the best percentage, I don't, I don't understand. It it does seem as though, no, it does seem as though one of the things that should be happening is that the teams that are really bad have a, 
have a higher percentage than they've had. I mean, we, we shouldn't be having this kind of thing. I mean, could you imagine? And, and I'm sure that Gary Bettman had already planned out his escape route if the Edmonton Oilers had had their ping pong ball come up first or even the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, Gary Bettman would have looked like one of those cartoon characters. You would, it would have been the, you know what? You would have heard the sound of Fred Flintstone. I mean, he would have been gone because why do you want to stand there and try and explain how the Edmonton Oilers won a draft lottery for the fifth time in 10 years, something like that. Um, Like it's ludicrous. Well, they were lucky to get McDavid. I I mean, it's, it's, it's a very difficult situation to understand. I think they tried to create some more excitement, but the the uh, the extra teams that got in the playoffs that should have been their bonus, not getting the first over a shot at the first overall pick. I, I said this back now. You know they don't listen to me, and that's fine. But I said this back around the time that this was going on that the when they said there's going to be well, what they should have said honestly is every team in the league has a choice. You can be in the draft lottery or you can be in the playoffs. And then you've got teams like Detroit would have said, well, we have no chance in the playoffs. We'll take our chances in the draft lottery. And Ottawa would have said the same thing in San Jose and LA and a few others. I wonder about a team like the Montreal Canadiens. If they would, might have said, see, I mean, Montreal, um, Montreal may have really blown it this year. And people who are Habs fans are saying, well, that's sour grapes from someone in the Toronto area. Well, no, I don't think Montreal has any hope at all of winning the cup this year. And they could have severely benefited from getting Alex Lafreniere, not only a French Canadian guy, but a really good player, a franchise player. And by winning that first round, they took themselves out of the mix. I wonder if you had said to Montreal before the playoffs started, you can be in the draft lottery for Lafreniere or you can play in the playoffs. I wonder which one they honestly would have taken. I think they'd have, I don't think that, I think they'd have opted out. I mean, uh, that kid is like Lemieux, um, Lafleur. I mean, they need, they need a French language kid to be their best player. And he might have been. Well, they don't. They, and, and well, he might not have been next year, but he would have been in two or three years, according to the scouts. Yeah. No. I, there, there are a bunch of teams that I think might have seriously considered, and, and they would have been criticized. I have no doubt they would have been criticized for not competing, for quitting, for whatever else. But if you look at your team and you say we have no chance. And we're going to be matched up against Team X. You know, if you if you're if you're Montreal and off the top, you they had said, hey, you might win your first round, but you don't then get to be in the draft lottery. And the next round, you're going to play the best team in the league in the first yeah. round, the first real round of the playoffs. Do you still? I mean, I suppose if you're the Canadians, maybe because of your history, you have to show the fight and you have to stick to it and say, no, we're going to get in there. If you get in, there's a chance. Well, maybe. Maybe, but the the smarter, calmer brains may have said, "Wait a second, let's think this one through for a second. Now you're now you have to admit you're a quitter, right? And that's not in hardly anybody's DNA. And if the Habs that have done that, they would have been in some circles hailed as being, you know, very clever and looking to the future. But if the balls that have dropped and they hadn't have won it, they'd have been ridiculed. I mean, True. 
people have been burning cabs up in downtown Montreal like they won some. True, but on the flip side, Don, if every team takes the position that, well, we would look like a quitter if we didn't opt into the playoffs, and then only Detroit and Ottawa said, well, pff, forget it then, we're going to go into the draft lottery, wouldn't they look like geniuses for basically guaranteeing themselves Lafreniere yeah, or... That would have been an interesting process, right? This is a blind entry thing. You don't get to know who's skipping the playoffs to go into the lottery. You just have to make a blind decision. You Problem want that would be is if there wasn't, <laughs> you know, they may have only ended up with 18 teams or 19 teams or 17 teams in the playoffs. So what? Right, might, so what? Might have been a bunch of teams do it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, good point. And, and you know, the NHL is always looking for these shows. Like they do the, the the draft lottery. They're looking for things that are going to get people talking and get people watching and tune in and peripheral things, not just the game, but you know, when they remember a few years ago when they had the All Star Game draft, where the, the a few players, I think they still do it, where they draft the, um, you know, that kind of thing. Castle. Kessel was last, right? Right, that one, where Kessel was taken last by the guy. So you're telling me that if you have a program, an hour-long program, where they open the envelopes from every team announcing whether or not you're going to compete in the playoffs, people wouldn't tune in for that? Absolutely they would. And then you want to know what? You follow that up, and you make the second show that people would tune in, where the higher-ranked team gets to pick who they want to play. They get to choose as you go down the list. Okay, Philadelphia, you're ranked number one. What team do you want to face in the first round of the playoffs? Now, the general managers might hate that because it'll lead to them probably getting fired if they pick wrong. Nonetheless, you want television that people are going to tune in to watch still? that There's there's some gripping TV, if you want, that isn't on the ice, but is still stuff that people will watch in this for a second. That, that picking teams is tough. I mean, the first year I ran the Rock and Real McCoys, we ended up in first, and yet you had to pick. So we picked Milton, who were last. You know, you don't want to pick anybody because you're saying, we think we can beat you. They beat us in seven games. Now, it never happened again. We never lost in the playoffs in the intermediate again. But that was my first year in, and I went, I don't know. Like, this is a real, this system sucks. We lost in game seven. Because yeah, the, they were the, all fired up, and we, we, we had a far better team, but. Yeah, but you know what, Don, I mean, with that, you can make the case of saying, look, you can just say, we're only picking it because you're last place, not because we're whatever else. But it makes it really interesting if you've got, let's say, Montreal, for example, with Carey Price. If you're a team and you go, you know what, Carey Price is not necessarily a guy that we want to run into. So we're not going to go with the very last place team if we're first. We're going to go second last because we, you know, I mean, it makes it for a real, maybe there's nothing there. Maybe every team would do exactly what you just did and say, we, we're way better off just taking the lowest ranked team and doing that and not stirring any up any hornet's nests. But it would, boy, well, I think it, there's a potential there. It could be interesting. It would, it would certainly, it would certainly provide some entertaining creativity for TV. There's no doubt about it. And would give lots of sports writers lots to write about because they could predict and offer their humble opinion. It would be, well, as I say, I, this this whole thing comes from today's um, second part of the, the NHL draft where they just did the the ball popping up rather than the elimination. And, and again, I, I think it's, I, I really got the sense the NHL did not, realizing how ridiculous this thing had become, they didn't want to drag this thing out any longer. Let's just get it done, get off the air and get on with something else. Yeah, um, 
because uh, again, you could you could you imagine now? Again, this didn't happen, but your last three balls are Pittsburgh, Edmonton, and Toronto, and and you know people before the ball the before the winning ball even pops up, people are having aneurysms. Um, you imagine in Ottawa? We talked about this the other day. I was talking with someone. The one thing the Ottawa Senators had two of the top best odds to get the first overall pick. Neither one came through. Now the Toronto Maple Leafs miss the playoffs, go into the draft lottery and end up with the best pick overall. People in Ottawa might have marched on Toronto with pitchforks and torches or on the NHL offices. May have been a civil war. <laughs> Same thing. I don't know if there's enough Senators fans to have a civil war, but nonetheless, you get, I get your idea. Um, I'm, not, take... I'm, not con- I'm not convinced there's enough Leaf fans left. Oh, I think there's plenty of Leaf fans. If 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 the day ever comes that they figure out a way to win anything again, they'll all come back out. But I will point out today, Don, today, 5,956 days since the Leafs last won a playoff series. Wow. There are kids driving cars. There are kids who are old enough right now, they are driving cars with a driver's license who were not born when the Leafs last won a playoff series. Well, the irony is um, they won more playoff games last year than they did this year, and they can't even get into the final 16. Yeah. It is uh, never let it be said that being a Leaf fan is an easy thing to be. People who are Leaf Leaf fans... People who are Leaf fans, I'm telling you, they are a hearty breed. They have to be because uh, their souls have been sucked out of their bodies so many times. It's amazing they're even still with us. It's like they must be like zombies by now. Hearty just, is a very, very kind word. Husky might be better. Husky might be <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, I'm assuming you watched the hockey game last night like everyone else. I think the ratings for that are probably going to be very, very good considering we're in August and we're still watching regular season, theoretically, NHL hockey. But I, I, I tell you what, I, 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 we talked about, we touched on the Leafs a moment ago. This, I'm trying to figure out how it is that you can change all the players, you can change all the coaches, you can change all the management, you can change everything about this team, about this organization, and you get the same result year after year, decade after decade. Why? Why, why is it, and, and there's been a couple other teams that have gone through this, the Red Sox for a long time, the Cubs for a long time. Why is it that the organization, no matter who's running it or who's on it, can't figure it out? Well, first of all, the Cubs, the the Bo Sox, the Leafs. The the interesting thing is the reasons change on a consistent basis. I am um, a Brian Burke fan. I wouldn't have gotten rid of him. I don't know why he was asked to leave, but I like the way he builds teams. So I don't think it was his hockey acumen that um, created his departure. He's a pretty bullish guy and they may not like the style but so you, you go from brian burke and then you go to brendan shanahan who has a shanty plan and he brings in dubas so you have burke that likes what he calls his heavy hockey 
St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup playing big man hockey. You got to be big and tough and strong, and we can stop the skaters. And Dubas thinks you can scoot around like water bugs. But every organization that hasn't won in a long time always looks for a different style. So there's no consistency. The Philadelphia Flyers are not as tough as they used to be, but you know the Philadelphia Flyers always have a tough team. They try and mix in, but they have a standard. Now, it hasn't worked for them recently, but every every team that struggles goes to a whole different philosophy on a regular basis, and that's probably part and parcel of the problem. Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan have decided paying three of their top forwards almost as much as the entire Columbus Blue Jackets forwards make, all 12 of them, is the route to go. Now, there doesn't seem to be any evidence of that other than the last four minutes of the game Friday night, Saturday night, when did they come back from a 3 nothing deficit? Yep, Friday night. Right then, all of a sudden, you go, hey, these guys got this figured out. But they don't. And so... I think the reasons are always mixed, and until they find a formula that they can find some success with, they're going to end up with the same result. But you... so there's no there, there's no, there, there's no organizational philosophy with the Toronto Maple Leafs that's been the same decade after decade. It changes on a regular basis. These guys, and you know what? One thing the Toronto Maple Leafs seem to be blessed with they're blessed with anything is the fact that they don't have a Harold Ballard deciding to fire Roger Nielsen or, or they haven't got uh, Sittler ripping the sea off or trading Rick Vive as their captain on a whim. They seem to be hands off. They seem to want to hire top end people and let them run the show. So that's a good thing. The bad thing is, is that it hasn't found any more success than any other formula. But you talk about the, the, the style. So you had, and, and I mean, it's not just Brian Burke or Kyle Dubas. I mean, there's been other people. You've had Cliff Fletcher in there. You've had Punch in Black in there. You've had, you know, whomever in there along the way. Uh, Gord Stellick in there. It, it's, you seem to go on such pendulous swings that, okay, we, with Brian Burke, we've all got to have, all of our guys have to be big, tough guys. And then with, with Dubas, all of our guys have to be puck possession skill players. It, it it seems as though like you're constantly chasing something, but there's never somehow a, a, a melding of some stuff that would, you know, like, I mean, look at, look at some of the teams that are successful right now. And then, you know, we look at, at Tampa Bay, they lost in the playoffs last year badly, but they, no one's going to argue they're not a great team. They've got tough defensemen. They've got tough forwards. They've also got a lot of skill guys. It's, 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 I just look at this and I go, I like, I'm not, I'm not a general manager and I'm not pretending that I am, but you somehow have within the organization, this ongoing inability, no matter who's doing it to find the, the way that it works. And yet you've got other organizations that are, you know, I mean, look, I, I know Leaf fans lose their mind when you have teams that have just joined the NHL or are in Dallas or or Los Angeles or places like that, Anaheim, where it's not even hockey country that are winning Stanley Cups. And you're saying Tampa Bay. And you're saying, well, how in the Carolina. world, Carolina, how can they figure it out 
How can the Vegas Golden Knights be an expansion team and go to the Stanley Cup Finals and the Leafs can't get to the Finals since 1967? Drives people nuts, but I, I, I'm I trying to figure out why it is that this the franchise, no matter who's in charge, can't figure it out. Well, there's two things to look at. First of all, when the Leafs could compete for a Stanley Cup, there were six teams. And they haven't won since it was six teams. Now there's 31, so you have balance. So when you have the incredible balance that the salary cap is uh, created, making the, the, the bottom guys competitive, and that's why they did it, you know, the top money earners like the Leafs and the Rangers and everything liked it because they could leave more money in their jeans than they had before. But it also gave the Carolinas and the other teams, that, the Floridas, that didn't have the revenue to be able to compete at least an outside shot and then luck has to become involved. But your point, I think might be if there is a certain amount of luck involved in this, how can the Toronto Maple Leafs have that much bad luck? Now, remember the Habs haven't won in like 25 years. Like they're, I, I yeah, no, no, the Habs, you know, when was the uh, last time a Canadian team won the Stanley cup? The, the Montreal Canadians. I was going to say, well, it was the, the year that uh, Gretzky, Heistick, Gilmore didn't get called, and that would have been the Toronto Maple Leaf Stanley Cup guaranteed, apparently. Well, but So they haven't won in 25 years. Like, do that arithmetic. Yeah, no, no, the, the Habs... can have that many Canadian teams where the game was born. We create more NHL players than any other country on the planet, and our teams can't win. How's the Habs last won the Stanley Cup... Uh, I, and I remember this because I was in the Dominican Republic on my honeymoon when the, when the Habs last won their Stanley Cup. And yeah, when, when Montreal fans talk about the, the greatness and the glory of the team, yeah, that, that has a team with a glorious franchise, but you're now getting into some territory where, uh, it's been long enough that that may not be something you can talk about so much right now. The Leafs, absolutely not. Um, the Edmonton Oilers, great history, not lately. Uh, Vancouver Canucks, n- never. Ottawa, never. Um, it, you know, it's yeah. it's nineteen seventeen for Ottawa, but yeah, yeah. But the I mean, again, the the Leafs somehow you get players, you've got skill. The Leafs have had skill players over the years. The Leafs have had rugged players over the years. The Leafs have had guys that play both ways over the years. Wendell Clark and that. It just doesn't matter who is there or whatever. It doesn't work out, and uh, and. I can't, fi- I, honestly, I'm not being funny. I can't figure it out because other teams no. seem to be able to figure it out and the Leafs just spin their wheels year after year after year. I don't think there is an answer to it. I mean, I I remember watching George Armstrong shoot it in the empty net in 67 as a kid because I was allowed to stay up that late. But, I mean, that's an incredible amount of time. You're right. There, It makes absolutely no sense. You know what else makes no sense is, first of all, the Edmonton Oilers have one of the most talented teams in the National Hockey League. They can't win. I would have bet whatever you wanted to bet that Pittsburgh's experience and skill would have beat the Montreal Canadiens with the off that, you know, all right, so Montreal have the best goaltender in the planet right now, but that shouldn't make the difference. Well, it did. Yeah, but Don, how many times have the Edmonton Oilers, they didn't do, they haven't done it in the last few years, but how many times since... 1967, have they at least been to the finals? Seven? How many times since... 
Yeah. How many times since 1967 yeah. have the Penguins been to the final? Six? Five? Um, yeah. Like, again, uh, it's just... Well, it's an it's interesting... A, no, the... There is. I don't think there's a definitive answer. If you and I have the answer, if I can come up with it, they'll be calling me. Probably well, calling me anyways. And, can't be any worse than what they're doing. I can lose. I don't to even be like clear, To be clear, you watched George Armstrong shoot the puck into the empty net. Um, I was just about to enter my third trimester in, in the womb. So I, I was, uh, uh, I did not see it. Um, and so I, I always look at this, like I was talking to someone today, and they said, you're very down on the Leafs. It's like, well, my life, I was born four months to the day after they won their last Stanley Cup. Based on what that I've seen in my lifetime, should I be saying or feeling that something good is about to happen with the Toronto Maple Leafs? What, what, what is the evidence? What is the historic evidence that I've seen in my life that I should expect that things are going to break their way? Yeah, and there's nothing. And they have, they have I am sure... Uh, I believe this, and I no evidence to back it up. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs have the single largest fan base in the National Hockey League, and they can't win. And losing doesn't seem to deter them. You go on Facebook, you go on Twitter, Twitter there are people really pissed about this. They'll be back next year. <clears throat> but oh, you know, sure they like will. I said to you earlier, they won more playoff games last year, and this year they couldn't even get into the Sweet 16. Yeah, no, it, people like forget. That, they they say bad. they lost the playoff series. They didn't, they weren't in the playoffs. This was not the playoffs. This was the regu- this was the end of the regular season. The Leafs will sh- will go down this year as having not made the playoffs with that roster. They have poured all their money into forwards. All their money into forwards. They've paid some of them too much money because they were held ransom and, and caved. And that's part of the problem. I mean, look at the Nylander deal. Don't cave. Let him sit out. Let him start doing the arithmetic. You want an extra million bucks a year? You're going to miss the entire year. They, I they do cave. think, Don, that that is, I do think that you just touched on something. we got to go to a break. I do think, though, that you've touched on one thing, though, that may hamper the Leafs illegitimately. And that is in this market with the coverage that, that players and the team gets, that players become much more overvalued. They get much more hyped up and a, a William Nylander and a, and a, a Mitch Marner are much more valuable or seen as that in this market than if they were in Carolina or if they were in Anaheim or somewhere. Mitch Marner, if he is somewhere not Toronto or Montreal, no way he gets 13 million or whatever it was that he got a year. No way. But because he Can is he- Mitch Marner and he's a local guy and all the coverage and everything else, he gets that. I, I think he probably gets $3 million less anywhere else. Sidney Crosby makes $8.7 million a year. Who do you want in your team? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, which of the Jays or the Leafs do you think would be more likely would be the first one to win a championship? Assuming the third option Leafs. that they're... You know, why? Leafs. Uh, arithmetic. They're due. Sooner or later, they got to win. So you flip a coin enough, eventually it's going to come up heads. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a trap. The question's a trap. I mean, it depends. If the Jays' young guys start to flourish, then maybe they've got a chance. I think Major League Baseball is probably a bit tougher to win than the NHL. 
But the Leafs have got all their young guys, and they're in their prime, and they haven't done it yet. The Jays won't be in their prime for another three or four years. Not only have so the Leafs more, not... It's a bit more of a crapshoot, but I would, I would say the Leafs. Yeah, and not only have the Leafs not done it yet, the Leafs have not even won a series, which I keep going back to. I mean, it's just, you know, when the Chicago Blackhawks started paying all their guys huge money, it was after winning a couple Stanley Cups. The Leafs now are tapped out financially and they haven't won a playoff series. And and so I tend to agree with you and people can go, as I say, go to Home Games Hamilton on YouTube and you can watch um, and see what everyone else said. I tend to agree with you. I'll give my side of this away. I tend to agree with you for a slightly different reason. I think it's easier in the NHL to win because in hockey, if you have one guy at one particular position, i.e. goalie, out of his mind hot, he can carry you a long, long way in a team that's not even that great can win a cup where you, you need more than that. And you need more than one person in baseball, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. You can't I don't know. have an ace. You can't have a Roger Clemens. That's a slam dunk win every night. Cause he doesn't go out every night. No, if you have five of them, but nobody ever has five of them and you need more than, as I say, you can't just have one of them that can dominate a game. In basketball, you can have one or maybe two superstars and you have a chance to win. And in hockey, one great goalie, one light, not even a great goalie, a super hot goalie. Look at the Philadelphia Flyers right now with Hart, the kid who's playing for them, Carter Hart. Uh, Most people would not know him if they ran over him in their car. But right now he is playing lights out and they are one of the favorites to win because he is that good, that hot right now. Period. Yeah, no, it's uh, goaltending. Look at what the, the Montreal Canadiens could win a Stanley Cup because of Carey Price. That yeah, would be the they, only reason to win a Stanley Cup. But you know what? He's on the team, so you got to count him. But yeah, he, because he their team the itself guy. is not that good. Their team itself is not that good, but you get a goalie who can carry you and you can go a long way. And, you know, I like the guys that are dumping on Anderson. The Leafs didn't score any goals in two games. Two out of five games, they never scored a goal. But that's hardly the goaltender's fault. Yeah, not entirely. That is for sure. Want to hear more? Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play and listen to The Scott Radley Show weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.